The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. In the course of his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to go around in long robes and accept greetings in the marketplaces, seats of honor in synagogues, and places of honor at banquets. They devour the houses of widows and, as a pretext, recite lengthy prayers. They will receive a very severe condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and observed how the crowd put money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow also came and put in two small coins worth a few cents. Calling his disciples to himself, he said to them, Amen. I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury. For they have all contributed from their surplus wealth. But she, from her poverty, has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. The Gospel of the Lord. Today is the last day during the weekdays of ordinary time where the Gospel of St. Mark is part of our readings. And so these are the last words for this year that we hear from this Gospel during the unfolding of the regular weekdays. Last words are important, and this is a remarkable passage with which to conclude our engagement with the Gospel of St. Mark. And just so that we're clear, during the weekdays of ordinary time, we read through the accounts of the public ministry of Jesus, starting first with St. Mark's Gospel, and then beginning on this coming Monday with St. Matthew's Gospel, and finally concluding the, year, the weeks of ordinary time, reading from St. Luke's Gospel. And so as we conclude our engagement with St. Mark's Gospel, we have a remarkable conjunction between this incident in the temple where the Lord is teaching just a couple days before he dies on the cross on Good Friday. For the last week and a half, our readings from St. Mark's Gospel have all been teachings that Jesus has given after Palm Sunday. He is in Jerusalem his approach to Calvary is coming. It is only days away. And so there is an additional sharpness and gravitas about these words. A gravitas and a sharpness that is supplemented and sweetened a bit by our first reading from the book of Tobit, which likewise concludes our engagement with that book for this year. Tobit, as we have seen, is a man of great charity. In fact, this is what his reputation and his holiness before the Lord was built upon. Not merely was he pious, 
Not merely did he offer sacrifice, not merely did he pray, but rather he demonstrated the reality of his relationship with God by the way he was at the service of his brothers and sisters, burying the neglected dead, seeking out those families who had little or nothing and making sure that they had something. And so when the generous man fell sick and became needy himself, heaven answered. And we stand now at the conclusion of that magnificent little tale with the angel Raphael who brought about the healing of Tobit and the healing of the bride of his son, Tobias, standing before them and unveiling himself, disclosing that the companion of the son who brought his journey to a successful conclusion was the very same angel who received his prayer of need and placed it before God. And so he says, before he reveals himself, that remarkable statement, prayer and fasting are good, but better is almsgiving. We get that wrong so frequently, don't we? We think the spiritual life can be reduced to a matter of how often I go to church, how many prayers I say, and let's be clear, I am not saying don't go to church and I am not saying don't pray. But the reality is, if that is all we do, there is a certain emptiness about us, a certain unreality about our faith, because it hasn't come to the concrete expression of care for those who are vulnerable, weak, and have less than we do. God is merciful, and so he expects that we likewise are merciful. God is generous, and so he expects that we likewise are generous. And the proof that I've received the mercy and the generosity of God is that I share it, that I extend it. And so note how Raphael describes Tobit's life and basically says, and there is a greatness about it. It's the greatness of the charity that flows from prayer and the greatness of the prayer that produces charity. You who have received from God even before you knew you were receiving, were so good at giving and sharing. And as the angel continues to speak to them, note that it's praise God, celebrate what he's done for you, but don't you dare stop what you've been doing for your neighbor. You don't transition from one to the other. Both elements are necessary. The soul needs the wing of prayer and the wing of charity to soar truly heavenward. What a marvelously simple and beautiful teaching that is. And the angel goes further. Almsgiving, he says, helps to take away sin. Helps to undo the damage and the weight of guilt that we carry with us. And that is a remarkable statement, that there is a healing character to almsgiving. A healing character to generosity. This is also what makes charity, Christian charity, non-condescending. And we've experienced that, haven't we? We want to help somebody, I don't take charity. 
And that, that proud response coming from a sense of, I don't want to feel less than you. And there can be those proud ways of giving and sharing. Oh, poor you, let me help you. And when I speak that way, what am I saying? Too bad you're not as well off as I am. Too bad you're not as good as me. It demeans a person. But when I recognize that in giving and sharing and extending myself for another, a healing that I need also comes to me, I understand that we're both poor. I understand that we're both in need. And suddenly, both of us can be open to receive what God has for us. On the one hand, he wants to use us as instruments of his goodness and providence for others. But on the other hand, it is the need of the other which becomes the instrument of my opening myself to his mercy. What a beautiful reality that is. This is what's at play then in our gospel reading, where the Lord begins by first saying, beware. And he points to the scribes, public religious leaders. And he says, there always is a danger when somebody, scribe or not, has a certain reputation for holiness or goodness where everything can be about the reputation and about the fruit of the reputation. So note, they dress themselves in the long robes. And here I am, all vested in my robes for mass, <laughs> um, as a way of announcing their status and drawing attention to themselves. And they love to be greeted with titles and respect and esteem. And honestly, who doesn't like that? But they seek it, and they begin living for it. And so rather than seeking out a truly honored place in the kingdom, they like to have an honored place in the banquet hall. They like to have the place of honor in the synagogue, where they begin, perhaps, in the service of God and end in the service of themselves. That attitude which can creep into anybody doing any kind of charitable service. I hope they notice. I hope they see me. I hope they appreciate. And the way we Christians ourselves can compete for place and status in our own communities. And we become so preoccupied with defending it, with maintaining it, with guarding it or with somehow advancing ourselves. And so there's a spirit of self-advancement and self-celebration that the Lord is cautioning his disciples against, basically saying there's one model, and it's not ours. And then he sits, and he simply watches. And scripture has a number of occasions where this happens, and it it can be a little unsettling when we realize what's going on. We like to think that we're the ones who watch Jesus. We like to think that the spiritual life is a matter of looking at Jesus, watching Jesus, and learning from him. And we forget that even as we're looking at him, he's looking back at us, and he's watching us. And so here's the Lord now. Nobody's watching him, but he's watching everyone. 
and he's watching almsgiving. He's watching that laudable practice of the faithful coming forward and contributing something for the working of the temple, for the care of the priests, and for the care of the widows and the orphans. And so these are acts of charity that he's watching. And so he's watching a good thing, and we want to be clear about that. He's not watching a sinful thing. He's watching a good thing. And as this unfolds before him, he again turns to his disciples and says, watch with me. Watch what happens. And there are the wealthy who come, many of whom have very large donations. And they give it. Freely, they give it. And that is not a bad thing. And it's an impressive quantity. It's the kind of quantity that can make somebody else looking at that say, why does it even matter what I give? Because I can't even come close to that. It's a certain abundance that is shared. And then there is the widow who comes forward. And this marvelous irony. Part of this collection is for the care of widows. And here's a widow coming forward, and she's going to contribute to that. And so you know already she's going to get back less than she gives. But she comes because she has something to offer, too. And the widow in the ancient world is one of the most vulnerable members of society. She doesn't have her husband to support her and protect her. She often has small children that are dependent upon her. And so there's a certain fragility about the family, a certain sense of living in danger simply because we don't know how we'll continue. And so no status, no protection, very little resources. And she, who should be receiving the charity, comes forward to give. And it's remarkable because she doesn't stop when she sees all of the others coming with their much larger donations. So imagine that. You see the donors coming with the $2,000 check, the $4,000 check, the $500 bills folded up in an envelope, and you've got a quarter. Note how easy it would be to say, and what good is that going to do? Where's that going to go? What difference does that make when so many have already given so much? That's the calculus of the world, and it's a natural calculus. I can't give like they do, so I don't need to. But note that the widow doesn't think that way. She thinks, I have something to give. And so I'm going to give it. Note the spirit. Note the generosity implicit in that attitude. It doesn't matter how much anybody else gave. I've got something to give. And so I'm going to give it. And it's this that catches Jesus' eye. And he points to her. And he tells his disciples, 
forget everybody else and look at her. Because that was the biggest donation of the day. And you could almost imagine the stunned looks on their faces, wondering, how does that work? And now the Lord gives us a marvelous lesson with regard to wealth and poverty. The wealthy came forward, and they did not do a bad thing. They did a lesser thing, because they gave what cost them nothing. They had an abundance, and so they're not giving out of their need. They're giving what they don't really need. That's not bad, but let's be honest. It's not great. They are doing a good thing in that they give, but their giving has a certain lack of generosity about it, even with the large quantity. Because it costs them little, it costs them nothing. And so they don't even feel their own gift. It's not that it's bad. It's just that there's less there than meets the eye. It's not that their contribution will do no good. But the real good comes from what the widow gave. Because it cost her. It came from what she lived on. In giving that way, she gives herself. Note the difference. Financially, she is poor, and the others are wealthy. But in terms of the charity of her heart, she has a very extensive treasury. And she gives out of that wealth of goodness that she has within her. Where the others, though the quantity of what they put in the basket is much, much greater, have a much smaller treasury. They, in fact, are poorer than she. And in speaking that way, the Lord is not speaking to condemn those others. He speaks that way to invite everyone to become as wealthy as the widow is. And note how that reverses it. In the eyes of heaven, quantity, material quantity, next to never matters. But in the eyes of heaven, the quantity of generosity, the quantity of goodness, the quantity of love that I have in my heart, that does make a real difference. And know what that's the measure of. If I give to you in a way that costs me nothing, do you really know that I love you? No. You know that I can give you things, but that's all you know. But when I give you to you in a way that costs me, you know. You know that you are important. You know that I value you. You know that there is love for you, at least a little bit. And so note what we see. This is the greatest demonstration of love for God and actually love for the poor and the temple and everything else on the part of the widow because it is from herself that she looks to sustain the others. And as Jesus is looking at her, 
it is really important that we understand who it is that's speaking. Now you're looking at me, Father, it's obvious, it's Jesus. Pause on that and ask yourself, who is Jesus? Jesus is the son of a widow. The Virgin Mary is a widow. Joseph has already died. Jesus is the son of a widow. And in just a couple days, on his cross, Jesus is going to be that great coin that a widow likewise gives for the good of the world and the good of all of us. At the foot of the cross, united to the suffering of her son, the Virgin Mary surrenders him into the hands of God for our salvation. What a widow's might that is. Note how marvelous that is. And it is the Lord who likewise on his cross pays out all of the coin of his heart, all of the coin of his life for you, and for me, and for our salvation. And we see that he does not love us in a way that costs him nothing, but he is that great one, that glorious one, who loves us in a way that costs him everything. This is the meaning of that well-loved devotional phrase, so rightly associated with the spirituality of our founder, St. Louis de Montfort. I am all yours, and all that I have is yours. The great I am all yours is first the I am all yours of Jesus. The second great I am all yours is the I am all yours and the all that I have is yours of the Virgin Mary. And then there is ours, our response, modeled by the widow. Because as she drops her coins into the basket, that is the attitude of her heart. She turns to Almighty God and says, I am all yours. All that I have, it's yours. Because she understands. The Lord will never be outdone in generosity. However generous we may be, his generosity is always greater, and we have the proof of that right here in just a couple minutes. Because that same Jesus Christ is going to be here in this outdoor temple. And note, he's going to ask you to come forward not to give, but to stretch out your hands and receive. And isn't it interesting that the round disc, the consecrated host, the body of Christ, looks something like a coin. And he's going to place that coin of his life, of himself, in your hand. Generously, ungrudgingly, not giving from his surplus, but giving exactly who he is. I am all yours. All that I have is yours. Amen.